Listening to Open Up the Wall, Revelations of a Renovation Contractor. Now, this is what they call a quote, inspirational memoir. It's about my career change from award winning actor to the owner of my own construction company. It's definitely a memoir, and throughout the 14 episodes of this podcast, you're going to meet some wonderful characters on both sides of the tool belt. This podcast is an edited version of the 27 chapter book of the same title. And it's available in e-form or hard copy. You can find out more about the book and about me, the author, Jeff Bowes, on my website, www.openupthewall.com. Feel free to leave any questions or comments you may have. I'd love to hear from you. So, in episode five, I moved up to actually building a house. It was an exciting and a dangerous challenge for a novice, but I was working under an absolute carpenter genius who thought that I was a complete idiot. I saw his troubled life from his laborer perspective. He was one of life's unlucky, and that changed me. The bloom was off the rose as far as framing and intense heat was concerned, and I began to focus on home renovation. So here is episode six, Finding Purpose. At its core, acting is a victim's profession. Despite all their training and all the preparation that they put into their every audition, at the end of the day, all an actor can do is hope they get the job. Despite all the voice classes, the movement classes, all the scene study classes, they still know that success depends on the approval of people far removed from the creative process, casting agents, producers, financial backers. As a working actor, I lived with the low-grade anxiety of knowing that I would not get a job until somebody first approved of my physical appearance. Because landing a part is such a crapshoot the audition process became a degrading ritual. As a builder, owning my own experience and working on my own terms brought a peace of mind that I could never have imagined. At this point in my journey, I was secure in the knowledge that I had a set of skills that was in demand. Learning the trade from talented and honorable men was giving me confidence in my abilities and in myself, and this made me want to stay in this world and grow. Nonetheless, I was raised at Jeffrey, so I had some residual qualms about forsaking my artistic background and throwing my life away by becoming a common tradesman. And then my neighbor David called. His wife had died two years earlier, and for a time there he was truly a lost soul. I have a girlfriend, he said. That's great, David. I'm happy for you. Oh, thanks. Now, this is important. I need my bathroom done before she'll sleep over. It's not fair that I'm always at her place just because my bathroom's a mess. Are you asking me to clean your bathroom? It's a bit late for a cleaning. David was a well-groomed man. His house was a pigsty. Two years of dealing with grief and loneliness had taken his focus away from anything but the basics of house cleaning. 
He was getting it together with the rest of the house, but it would take a sandblaster to clean his bathroom fixtures. We agreed that all of them had to be replaced, along with the floor and the cupboards and the lights, even the switches, and all in record time. I felt as though I had a cause. I wasn't just framing an anonymous structure to be inhabited by people that I would never meet. I was helping a man reclaim his life. His happiness depended on how well I applied my skills to the task of redoing his bathroom. This was the noble thought in my head as I tried to get a grip on the lip of his filthy bathtub. The soap scum buildup made it too slippery to grasp, so I scraped enough away to get a handhold, and I finally yanked the thing off the wall. I dragged it through the house and straight into my truck. The sink came next. Like most sink drains of the era, it was clogged with hair, and as I carried it to the truck, black blobs of old hair dripped from the sink onto my pants, and the smell was 60 years old. The base of the toilets looked a kind of pea color, and the floor beneath was rotten. There was some old macaroni on the back of the seat. It looked like macaroni. I hoped it was. I cut the bolts away, and I lifted the toilet onto a plastic tarp, and I dragged it to the truck, stench and all. Wrapping my arms around the toilet, I made the final lift into the truck. It slithered in my arms and slid onto the truck bed, leaving a gray-green ooze on my sleeves. I smelled funny, and there were chunks sticking to the soap scum on my shirt. My pants looked like I had wet myself, and worse, there were thick strands of dried black hair sticking to my belt. In the creature from the Black Lagoon, they discreetly hide the creature's crotch bulge with dangling swamp foliage. That's what my front looked like now. I put a layer of garbage bags over the seat of my truck, and I drove to the dump. The city dump, or transfer station, is a noisy, foul-smelling, happy place. It's usually the last stop for all the renovators who have spent the day ripping out old kitchens and bathrooms, fences, you name it. It's a happy place because after the junk gets dumped, it's beer o'clock. I lined up for my turn on the scale. The truck was weighed, the fat lady passed me my yellow slip, and I drove into the cavernous holding room for the city's garbage. I backed in alongside five or six other trucks, and I began to unload my junk. It was good and slimy, and it slid effortlessly out of my truck onto the concrete floor. I tried in vain to wipe off my pants. The smell on my arms was overpowering, so I made a decision. Taking the box cutters from my tool bag, I sliced my pant legs open until they were wide enough to get off over my work boots. I emptied the pockets and threw my pants as far as I could up the 20-foot-high junk pile, and then I slid out of my shirt and let it fall. Wearing only my underpants and work boots, I jumped into the truck and drove back to the scales for my way out. It was such a hot day that I was confident that I looked like just another laborer with his shirt off. The heat had also influenced my choice of underwear that day, and I felt uncomfortably vulnerable in my teal bikini briefs. I pulled onto the scale and I waited for my receipt. The fat lady reached her arm out the window, dangling the receipt. I tried to reach it, but there was a foot between our hands. Can you reach out a bit more? I asked. No. 
Look, I wouldn't ask you except I have a bad back, I lied. So do I. There was nothing else I could do, so I stepped out of the truck. The fat lady's hangdog expression suddenly turned to one of alarm. She gasped. She threw the receipt at me and slammed her window shut. I picked up my receipt and I got back into the truck. There was such a prudish, disapproving expression on her face that I laughed out loud, which must have made me look really crazy. I can explain this, I called. She shook her head frantically, mouthing no, then she motioned me to move on. I took in the wonderful moment of knowing how batshit crazy I must have appeared to the poor woman, and then, fearing that I might be breaking some decency law, I drove directly home. It was a fulfilling, rewarding experience working on David's bathroom. We came up with a whole new layout, and I built storage closets, and I added more lighting and a tile floor, finally transforming this scummy place into something elegant and inviting. And when it was done, he said, Great job. I love it. Thank you so much. I felt a new and different sense of accomplishment. It was an exhilarating change from the iffy, suspicious feelings that come with receiving backstage praise. I enjoyed your performance. David's praise was direct, undeniable. We both knew the impact that a new bathroom was going to have on the rest of his life. I could see the good things that I had done. I could touch them. Stan had a reputation for good work and plain dealing. He undertook one job at a time, and he finished it before moving on to the next. But now, if somebody wanted a small job done, and Stan felt that I could do it to his standard, he would recommend me. I was the one to meet the client and give a price, but it was understood that I was riding on Stan's coattails. It didn't take long for the word to get out that I was doing reno stuff, and that I had the endorsement of Stan, and... Slowly but surely, I began to establish a client base of my own. But there was still doubt remaining in the minds of many prospective clients, especially the ones who only knew me as an actor. Stan said to call you about putting in a new door. Can you really do that? Yes. But really do it? Well, how do you mean really? I don't know, like a professional? I am a professional. Oh, well, um, will Stan be around to oversee or anything? No. Okay, then. I'll get back to you. I couldn't blame them, I guess. They had no idea of the hours that I had put in to reach a point where Stan would endorse me. My broker had CFP after his name. My masseur had RMT. The Wizard of Oz gave the Tin Man a heart. I needed a symbol that would inspire confidence. I needed a license. So off I went to City Hall. I filled out a stack of application forms. Then I got a police background check, and I wrote an exam as to my abilities, followed by an oral exam, complete with trick questions. $325 later, I had a license with my picture on it. And then I went and got business cards with the words licensed contractor prominently displayed. This seemed to reassure people that I was taking my career change seriously. 
However, in spite of my new symbol of legitimacy, there was still the general anxiety that homeowners had about being overcharged for shoddy work by a contractor who seemed nice, took a deposit, half-finished the job, and then evaporated into thin air, just like they'd seen on TV. In a few short years, reality shows have turned the contractor into a pariah and put the homeowner on the defensive. This is characterized by what we call the look. It's the wary, almost disapproving look on the faces of prospective clients as they let me into their homes for the first time. Fear of being ripped off is a two-way street. I can glean very few clues about how honorable or emotionally stable a new client is when I walk into their homes for the first time. There are stories about tradesmen being threatened with false allegations of sexual misconduct unless they give a better price, or having the odd tool stolen by a client. Every single one of us has at least one story about being cheated by people who seem very nice. For me, the most enjoyable part of this business is working with the homeowners, fleshing out their projects, getting to know them as people. But still, they have to be regularly reassured that I'm trustworthy and competent. And I, in turn, have to be regularly assured that they completely understand every single step in the process of their renovation. At times, I've made assumptions or been too casual in my communication only to watch the look return to my client's face. Then everything stops while we all sit down and I explain myself more clearly or physically show them that they are not being ripped off. When I feel the look on my own face, it's usually because something doesn't add up to normal. I felt it when I went to Elsa and Tim's beachfront home. This was our first meeting, and I was unnerved to see small cameras on tripods strategically placed throughout this spacious bungalow. Are you in the film business? I asked. Elsa laughed. The cameras? They're for the dog, she said. For a couple of weeks now, we've been coming home to all the cushions pulled off the couch, all the blankets off the bed, stuff he never did before. So the breeder put these cameras around to look for activities that could tell us if Milo is in pain or anxious or frightened by something. It's only for two or three days. And yes, I know I sound like a crazy lady. Milo, the huge Irish wolfhound, ambled into the room. He ducked his massive head into my 32-inch inseam, almost lifting me off the ground. Hello, I said. What a beautiful dog you are. You're hired, laughed Elsa. I sat on the couch across from Elsa and Tim, and they told me they wanted the carpet replaced with hardwood flooring. Milo stood staring at me almost at eye level while we talked details and timing, and I gave them a square foot price. I couldn't get any good clues about them as both of them were wearing running gear. And they hadn't volunteered what they did for a living when I asked if they were in the film business. And I couldn't tell if they were avoiding telling me. So just to be on the safe side, I asked for one-third payment up front. While Tim wrote a check, Milo put his head on my lap and I rubbed his ears. When I got up to leave, he resisted and tried to heave himself onto my lap. Elsa said, just whack him off. I, I didn't respond. 
Milo took an active interest in my work, staying close by my side while I tore out the carpet, swept up, and put my big compound miter saw in the middle of the floor. He was a warm-hearted dog, and I liked having him around. I ate lunch sitting on the floor with Milo lying right beside me. And when I moved to get up, he rolled over, lay across my knees. Get off, Milo, I said, and I pushed his big head a few times. But he just lay there panting at me. I was forced to wriggle myself free from under the beast's body. And then the dog sat up and licked his balls. I got back to work, and Milo followed me around for a while, and then he began to pace and pull at the rolls of torn-up carpet, violently shaking at the pieces. At one point, I looked up to see him on the couch, pushing cushions onto the floor with his hind legs. A short time later, I was on my knees in front of my saw when Milo came up behind me. He began pawing at my back, panting. I reached my left arm behind me to push him away. And that was the moment that the big dog decided to mount me, pushing me forward against my saw and pinning my right arm against it. Get off me, I groaned. Off, off, off. But Milo began humping me in earnest, panting his dog breath into my ear. For the life of me, I could not think of a way to get this dog off me, given my weak and precarious position bent over a saw. I continued trying to free myself from his attentions, but... Really, I knew there was nothing I could do but let Milo have his way with me. Now, as far as I was concerned, this was a mildly amusing incident. It was of no consequence until I remembered the camera to my left. YouTube, America's Funniest Home Videos, Facebook. Yeah, I would look ridiculous, but had I done anything that could be incriminating? Was I rough with the dog? Could the SPCA get me for anything? No, I, I was pretty sure that I was clear on all counts. Milo finally dismounted and paced the perimeter of the living room for a while before moving on to the king-size bed where he paced in circles until he tangled the sheets into a ball. I shut him in the bedroom and continued laying the floor. Is Milo neutered? I asked Elsa and Tim when they came home. No, the breeder wants to use him once before that happens. Why? I took a breath and I said, I have something to show you. Tim hooked up the living room camera to the TV and rewound it until I said, there. And then the two of them sat on the couch together and Tim pressed play. There I was on all fours, bent over my saw with Milo bent over me. The black and white footage looked like a vintage porn video capturing a bizarre threesome of man, dog and machine. In unison, Tim and Elsa said, Oh my God! before they burst into loud laughter. The whole thing was over in 12 seconds. But that was time enough for Elsa to end up on the floor, doubled over laughing. I'm going to pee my pants, she cried, and hobbled off to the bathroom, holding her crotch. Tim said, When you were trying to push Milo off and shouting, Off, 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 it looked like you were really getting into it. His laughter was in short gasps as he called to Elsa in the bathroom. Hey, didn't Jeff look like he was getting off on it? Elsa howled from the bathroom. When she came out, she said, Oh, by the way, nice floor, which set the two of them into further gales of laughter. Stick around while I call the breeder, said Tim. We have to sort this out right now. We can't have you getting buggered again tomorrow, can we? 
The joke was wearing thin, but I laughed politely. No, I'm serious, said Tim. You could have been hurt today. Elsa gave me a glass of wine while Tim arranged that Milo would return to the breeder for a few days and I would resume work when the dog was gone. When I returned, there was a bottle of wine with a bow on it and a note which read, Many thanks for a gorgeous floor and for being such a good sport. All recordings are deleted. I was so touched by their care and their consideration that with the scraps of leftover flooring, I built them a little pagoda birdhouse for their Japanese garden. Almost one year to the day later, I was back to remove the tub from the guest bathroom and put in a shower for Milo, complete with two handheld sprayers. The poor dog had been neutered since our tryst. He lay close to me as I worked and licked me when I patted him, but he never once circled me or looked at me with a glint in his eye. I was spending a lot of money on tools. When I put an outside plug on Sheila's deck, I had to buy a hammer drill to drill through the double brick wall of her house. That cost me 120 bucks. Then there was the $25 drill bit required for boring through the masonry. I could only charge $90 for the job. I used my new drill the next week, boring a four-inch hole for a dryer vent. This time I had to buy a four-inch hole saw for $45. This was on a Friday, and I was in a second-floor bathroom in a residential neighborhood. I drilled the hole with my cool new hole saw, and I hooked up the new dryer. And then I set to repairing some cracked tiles around the toilet. That was about 2 p.m., and then the homeowner's daughter came home from high school with about six friends. That was the norm for latchkey kids, I found, to skip school on Friday afternoon. If I knew that a client had teenagers in high school, I expected it. Anyway, all these girls settled in the kitchen, and I heard them calling out a watermelon vodka martini recipe. There was laughter and excitement at their illicit freedom, and it was music to my ears, really. I felt a wistful smile on my face as I tiled my way towards the bathroom door. And then I heard footsteps in the hall behind me, and then the exclamation, Oh! from a girl in grade 11. Actually, it's pronounced, Oh! I was on my hands and knees, so I stood up to address the young lady. Hi, uh, I've taken the toilet out for a while, but there's one in the basement. Sorry. She said, Oh, um, thank you and she went back downstairs. As she crossed to the kitchen, I suppose she thought she was out of earshot, but I heard, Ew! Ew! A gaggle of girls reacted to her cry of alarm. What's happening? Oh my God, are you all right? She said, Ew! If there's this old worker guy upstairs in the bathroom. Ew! Times six. Seriously, I didn't know he was there. I just came up the stairs and there's like this old man's ass in my face. Ew! Times six. I'm serious. He's like kneeling on the floor with his ass in the air. Ew! The young lady stayed in the kitchen mixing drinks and talking quietly. But in the end, old worker guy drove them all out of the house. Now that I spend my days in dirty, stained clothing, often with some kind of debris in my hair or dirt on my face, I began to realize that I was what the general population chooses to avoid, like vomit on a sidewalk. We see it, but instantly our energy goes into not seeing it. 
The girl guides outside the grocery store never approach me to buy cookies anymore. The veterans don't offer to pin a poppy on my greasy jean jacket. Special interest groups outside the liquor store don't want a moment of my time. They let me walk right on by. Old worker guys come across as too dirty to have money or a social conscience. Except at Christmas. When people call in the days leading up to Christmas, it's because something is going wrong in their home and they see the situation as having the potential to ruin the holidays. My daughter was decorating the chandelier in the foyer and she accidentally pulled it down. We're having a reception on Thursday. Oh, of all the times for this to happen. The sprayer on my kitchen tap is leaking and I'm having 12 for dinner and the caterers say they won't come until I get a new tap. Why does this have to happen now? These are the jobs that are a pain in the neck to do in April or October because there's no money in driving across town to change a tap or hang a chandelier. But at Christmas time, the goodwill towards men factor is in the air and, well, I just have trouble saying no, especially when they start crying. I was replacing the cracked mirror behind the bar for a well-dressed woman who actually introduced herself as the lady of the house when a decorating service arrived with a completely decorated Christmas tree and a holly centerpiece for the vast dining room table. When I was finished, I said, That's a gorgeous tree. Goddamn thing cost a fortune, the lady of the house replied, before quickly apologizing. Oh, I'm sorry. It's just that I can't stand all this Christmas crap. It's such a pain in the ass. This was something that I heard not infrequently. It seems that there is a portion of the population that feels put upon at Christmas time, as if they are making things nice for everybody but themselves. When things get tense, anything can happen. One December 21st, I got this call. Yeah, is this Jeff? Yes. Yeah, okay, I got your number from Janelle. Oh, Janelle, how is she? Yeah, listen, I need a sink and a toilet under my stairs, like a powder room, you know, just off the kitchen. I need it for Christmas, so can you come around and do that? I'm I'm going to be home all day tomorrow. I'm too busy to get it done before Christmas. I'm sorry. What do you mean you're too busy? Oh, fine, fuck you. Click. I was building a shelf unit for a long-standing client at his condo when Mohan, the security guard, appeared at the door. Got a minute? he asked. Mrs. Holt has a problem. It's her dishwasher. She lives across the hall. She wants to know if you'll take a look. I crossed the hall into a condo filled with an extraordinary collection of antique pine furniture, making me stray further and further into the stranger's home, admiring the pieces. As I ran my finger across a pine blanket box... A middle-aged woman wearing tight jeans and a crisp blue shirt and extremely high heels clicked in from the kitchen. Oh, excellent, she said. Thank you so much for coming. Follow me. The dishwasher door was open, revealing a gooey brown mass on the bottom and what looked like a fish head eyeballing me. Staring into the dishwasher and cracking her knuckles, Mrs. Holt said, I'm going to give you the short version. I was poaching a salmon in the dishwasher. My voice broke when I said, Sorry, what? Okay, go ahead and laugh, said Mrs. Holt. But just so you don't think I'm some dumb old broad, I was following a recipe from a gourmet magazine. Anyway, the the tin foil came off or it tore off or something. Now I got a salmon clogging my dishwasher. 
I ran it through a few times to try and flush it out, but then it just stopped working. A very patronizing repairman said he would come here yesterday, but he never showed up, and we've got my husband's family coming in. I was still getting my head around a fish in a dishwasher when Mrs. Holt cracked her knuckles and said, So I'm asking you, can you fix it? I can't, Mrs. Holt. I don't know how. Could you just maybe clean it out so it will go a couple more times just until after Christmas? Uh, I have a basic understanding of the working parts of a dishwasher, and if it has stopped working and filled with water, it's probably clogged beyond repair. What am I going to do, Mrs. Holt said, and then she hit her forehead with her hands. I'm in big trouble. I still had plenty to do on my other job, but I was in the building anyway, and hey, it's Christmas. The only thing I could do for you, I said, is to replace the dishwasher with a new one. Do it, she said. Oh, God, if you can do it by tomorrow night, my husband will be none the wiser. So the next morning, I loaded a new dishwasher into the truck, and I took it up to her condo. Mrs. Holt opened the door and gasped. You did it, she cried. Oh, I could kiss you, but we haven't been introduced. So I won't. What's your name, anyway? I laughed, and I told her. Come on in, Jeff. Get that thing in here. We can make out later. She made me laugh, and I was feeling good about helping her out of a jam. First, I have to get your salmon-clogged dishwasher out of here, I said, and then I'll pop in the new one. Oh, it's gone, she said. Security guy with the turban banged on my door at eight o'clock last night, said he'd take it away. My guess is he wanted it for the scrap metal, right? Well, that's a lot of trouble to go through for the five bucks he'd get at the scrapyard, I suggested. It sounds more like a random act of kindness to me. I mean, it's Christmas. Are you kidding? said Mrs. Holt. That type doesn't observe Christmas. He's just taking advantage of us at Christmas. Maybe he did it so I would be extra generous in his Christmas bonus. We all have to chip in for his Christmas bonus, you know, whether we want to or not. He knows it, and he's working it. It's a cultural thing with those types. It, it comes from the bazaars in their own country, I think. Everybody tries to cheat everybody else, even though he's probably been here for generations. You know what I mean. And she looked at me nodding for agreement. Ambushed by such unkindness, I'm always at a loss for words, so I just stood there feeling ineffectual and strangely alone. Mrs. Holt watched while I hooked up the dishwasher and slid it into place. Crisis averted, she cried, and tottered down the hall in her pointy heel to a roll-top desk in the den. Come, she said. I stood before her, silent, and disappointed in humanity while I stood before her silent and disappointed in humanity while she wrote me a check. Then I left, missing the opportunity to say how much her unkindness had upset me and hating myself for not defending the big-hearted security guard. A conversation that I had had with Stan in early December came into my mind. We'd spent a chilly morning putting in a huge picture window across from a parking lot full of Christmas trees. The ghost of Christmas past became the topic of the day. I told him of coming home for Christmas holidays where the Christmas spirit in our house was so painfully forced I couldn't wait to get back to boarding school. And Stan told me of a childhood Christmas where he watched in horror as his mum glugged scotch straight from the bottle while basting the turkey. 
and a short time later passed out at the dinner table. So I called him. Yo, compliments of the season to you. Is it time for the office Christmas party? You and me, pal. We sat in a worker-friendly bar and we talked about the uncomfortable behavior exhibited by some people around the holiday season. And we soon drifted into Christmas construction memories, like the November we built the false wall in the back of a couple's closet so they had a hiding place for their four kids' presents, or the time I built Little Red Riding Hood's bed for a Christmas pageant. After a couple of drinks, we canvassed the bar to come up with the year that Christmas went from being Christmas to being the holidays. And then we talked about how Christmas had found a place in our hearts now that we had kids of our own. We talked of Christmas concerts and Santa and stockings and the hyper level of excitement of Christmas Eve at bedtime, and we shared the good feeling of knowing that we were doing a better job than our parents ever did. At the curb, we shook hands and had a man hug, bending forward from the waist. We said Merry Christmas to each other and got into our beat-up vehicles. And for me, it was just in the nick of time, because as Stan drove away, I sat in my truck and I cried. Not a lot, but I wasn't expecting it to come out just so suddenly like that. I didn't have a health plan anymore, so I couldn't afford to have a shrink explain to me what the fuck was going on with my emotions around Christmas time. 